listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little bloodsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers are gay. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Well, the other day I had the good fortune of speaking with none other than Jeff Rowley. Now, Jeff has been on the show before in 2018, long time ago now. The world has changed significantly, um, say the least. And... Jeff has been up to all sorts of stuff. Every time I see him, he's up to something else and he's always full tilt. You know, whatever it is he's into, he's into and giving it his all. And I love that about Jeff and I love that about people in general. I, I draw inspiration from people like that. And and I know Jeff's been up to a lot. He's got a lot of new um, passions in his life and he always just goes into them full on so i just thought you know 2018 was a long time ago jeff let's talk again and and he he said yes so i was so thrilled thank you jeff now um we do in the middle of this talk about a new website course that jeff has built and i have spoken about it on the podcast before because uh i've done the course it's a um it's a breath hold course steeped in the co2 and o2 tables uh now if you follow it if you follow the course you can hold your breath for five minutes and i know that sounds fucking alien but it's possible um and it's really meditative i i really like i love it i I think it's an amazing tool if breath holds and hold downs are something that frighten you then this is an amazing tool and safe really safe so um jeff has been so kind and offered listeners 50% off. I'll put a link in the description and on the Instagram and Facebook. If you click the link, yeah, Jeff's giving 50% off, um, off the off the cost to get into the website and do the course. So that is an amazing, uh, it's super generous. Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I hope you enjoy my j- chat with Jeff. Love talking to him. Always do. Thanks heaps, um, Jeff. And and I will be right back. Ask yourself this: Do you like candles? Well, head on over to driftwoodgoods.com and buy yourself a sweet-smelling 100% soy wax all-natural candle made with love. The crew down at Driftwood say if you buy a candle between now and August 14, you will get one free. That's right. Two for one. You do the math. Plus, a steak knife. No, only joking. But if you head on over to driftwoodgoods.com or Instagram or Facebook and get your sniffing senses turned on today, baby. And we're back. Yeah, what else? Um, don't know. Went on the plane again. Um, I went on a plane again. Yeah, yeah. Really good English there, John. Um, anyway, I did. I went on a plane and <laughs> woo. And <laughs> there are. Uh, look, it was just funny because um, you know I've been on a light plane a bit lately, but I haven't been on a big plane for ages, and it was just like my senses were pretty heightened. And anyway, I just got to tell you that there was just a funny moment when the um, air stewards i think that's what they called them these days were coming down the aisle and they were doing the collecting the rubbish thing and they were just chatting amongst themselves and they were chatting as if no one was there and the the lady was like to the to the guy who was behind uh it sounds to me like you're a people pleaser and he was like oh well what 
what do you, what's people pleaser and she's like well it's when you you go out of your road just to say you say yes to everybody and you wear yourself out and you don't really know when to say no you can't say no and you just say yes to everything and it sounds to me what you're telling me is you're a people pleaser and he goes oh my god i think i am i think you're i am the, i am a people pleaser yeah and they're just milling along as if we're not there and i was just you know looking at them sideways just kind of cracking up it was it was like a, um a scene from a movie and i, I just wrote it down because i was just like this is a funny moment and these two talking about people pleasing and what it means to be people please blah blah blah. you get it you see it and it was funny i'll stop crapping on anyway i hope you enjoy my chat with jeff jeff thank you so much for coming over always great to see you man whether it's here at point danger or wherever i seem to bump into you these days it's always a pleasure so anyway whoever you are out there in the wide world hope you're well see you on the other side ciao wait till you hear two hours of crap a complete and total barfarama so the the way asimov puts it in his books is as you know, some people say Star Wars is a religion for them, right? Well, I, I, it's not a religion for me, but I get it. it yeah, and be. people say that, right? Yeah. Then from reading Asimov's books, his perspective goes so far into the future, as in like 30,000 years and I think it, oh gosh, it might have been millions of years into the future. And he's mapped it out so well and it's so far into the future that I'm kind of like, I'm open to the idea of what he's saying and it's so far in the future that it has no impact on me anyway and it goes that far and so I'm happy to go with the idea that we're going to the human race is going to grow too big for this planet mm. and there's going to be you know eventually in whether it's a thousand years or five thousand years from now um, you know big super cities and all this kind of thing where we have to build upwards or downwards under the ground and the world's going to change and we're talking in 1,000 to 5,000 years. I'd say less. And, okay. And then we're going to spread out into space. So humanity is going to go from being a single planet organism, Mm. if that's what you can define us as, to being a multi-planet organism. We're going to go out and colonize other planets. Yeah. And he goes through all that in his books about, um, you know, the first colonization of different planets and then um and then the problems that they have with that and the different approaches on the different planets and which is just all typical for humanity all the same things people go to the first planets and they only go oh well we're only allow we like it so much here we're only allowing 100 people here (laughs) you know we want a whole planet to ourselves and then the next planet so each planet's got their own social problems and um some planets have got robots some planets don't allow robots um so he's covered so much there that 20, I, yeah 20 books yeah and it's there's they're so deep and the amazing thing is is in the final book he tied them he tied it all back together which i didn't see it coming out at all and tied it all back together and wound it all up at the end and you kind of just like oh my god so if people see <laughs> star wars as a religion do, do you see that as a, a religion <sighs> that's a good question no it's not religion and i'm you know i'm not religious and i don't offend anyone that is religious like that but it's 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 not religious but it's enough that i think i'm not worried about the next hundred years on this planet yeah yeah i'm not worried about that i mean yeah please 
Putin and um, yeah, and, and Biden take your finger off the red nuclear button for sure, yeah. and that's good. Um, but I'm not worried about the next thousand years like that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the world happening right now that is really annoying. But in the grand scheme of things, um, I'm not worried about it. That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. It's a nice perspective because the last time we spoke was in 2018 and the world was a different place again. Um, <laughs> and it a fair bit has changed. And how, how how did you go? Like, I know it's a weird question, but like, I reckon we've got to give kudos for what we've just traveled through. For sure. How did you go? <sighs> um tough really tough difficult um challenging to get through i've been through a lot and it's caused i mean there's a there's the basic thing right like the the covid thing and um and then the effects that that's had on everything like we're in here in victoria we've been locked down severely um i just haven't agreed with the government stance on that um, it's caused rifts. I've lost friends. Um, it's caused problems with my family. It's caused. It's damaged different perspectives. Has damaged my relationships with people within my family um, that were just to the point where it was just untenable because you're just so polar opposite. Yeah, yeah. And it happened to our family too. Yeah, and that's you know it's hard. Yeah. And same thing goes with with friends. You know. And you go for a you go for a surf, and it'd be sort of all everyone want to talk about in the water. But you'd be there, and and someone would be the person next to you that you thought you were friends with, or whatever, would be so strongly on one side of the fence, and you're sitting there quietly, and you're on the other side of the fence, and you're like, oh, okay, mm. you know, I don't really can't really get on with this person right now. We don't share the same views, and so um, yeah, it's pretty. It was. It was pretty tough like that. That's in some regards, though. In other regards, um, you know, the Victorian, the lockdowns and things we went through were really hard. Um, in some ways, it was really good, though, because it helped me let go of a lot of things and and to change and to focus inwards on what really mattered to me, which is... Um, stop me rumbling. <laughs> you know, the things that mattered to me were, number one, family. Yeah. So my kids, I've got a young family with kids, so focusing on them, business, and then... Um, my own, you know, leisure and pleasure, my my own water activities, just doing those. Now, obviously, um, on a business sense, it's tough. Um, on a business sense, are you so, still doing Mirabook? Yep, yeah. Mirabook of protein. Yeah, yep. So we started that in the GFC. Yeah, right. So we're one of those businesses where. All we know is tough times. Yeah. And it's just been tough after tough after tough, you know. Um, there's just no other way. And so we just keep on surviving. And that's our goal with the business is to have a business that we can hand down to our children and that they can hopefully hand down to their children's children. So we're in there for the long game with that. We're not in there for the quick wins. Um we've seen all sorts of ups and downs we've seen people panic buying and so we saw sales go through the roof Mm -hmm. and then people didn't need to panic buy so then sales slump for a while because people have got too much protein um and then 
you know, we, we do a lot of online sales. And so we saw a huge growth in online sales over this time. So in that regard, sales were good. But then um, the cost of goods, which everyone's feeling, has just been skyrocketing as well. So costs of everything have basically doubled. and Really? Yeah, and even more so. So costs have gone up. And so that's squeezing us in that direction. And we can't pass that all on to consumer because the consumer won't be willing to pay double the price. Right. Um, it just sque- puts another squeeze on us. Wow. Hmm. So your margins aren't what they were, and that's another just double-down effect of what's been the last Yeah, exactly, years. all yeah. the lockdowns and the shutting down of everything and the shutting down of trucking and ports and everything, this, yeah. that, and the other, and people not being able to go to work. And, you know, I mean, there's a global food shortage out there right now that we're feeling effects of because farmers weren't working over the last two years and crops weren't being planted and there's just shortages. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a peculiar time. Like, I honestly, like, I, I know I feel like a fucking broken record banging on about this shit, but, like, you know, there's a lot of good in the world and there is, but then when you look at the things like, you know, um, fertilizer bans on cropping and farmers and or cutting down of that stuff and we've been pushed in such a direction to grow population, grow population, grow population, then we start hampering the food process to feed such a population. It just seems like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a recipe for disaster unto itself. And mm. that's, I think, what happened in Sri Lanka. They banned... Is that right? I'm not sure. They, um, they did, they I ba- they, don't know much about Sri Lanka, so I wouldn't really want to comment on it too much. But yeah, no, they're going through a hard time, that's for sure. Yeah, a real tough one. I think it started... It started well, it was a fucking run by a bad family. In layman's terms, let me just say, it was run by a shonky bunch of family crew that were doing a good job for a while, and then they just fucking cooked the books and employed each other, and it was nepotism at its greatest. And then, uh, I don't know what happened, but I think they put a ban on some sort of fertilizer that they were using to grow um, all the crops that they grow there. I don't know which one specifically, but uh, and they were trying to make it organic. Mm. Now, organic doesn't work on a grand scale, mm. unfortunately, or we should did. Uh, and that f- f- fucked the food market. I, yeah. I could be fucking way off here, but this is what my brain seducted from YouTubing um, <laughs> and, and news clips. Mm. So anyway, that was that. And now I, I saw something yesterday that the Netherlands are in the same situation, something to do with the fertilizer, and then mm. Canada. Mm. So anyway, it's just interesting But that's stuff. the same as they're trying to ban fossil fuels and, you know, it's all the same squeeze. That's a squeeze on poor people. That they're, that they're applying coming from their globalist agendas and that sort of thing well yeah i don't know like I've, i'm i am now questioning my trips to melbourne you know like it's only an hour and a half down the road and i never batted an eyelid in my life to drive there and now i'm like do i really have to go because of the cost because of the cost of fuel yep it's like that's what i mean it's a tax on the poor people because if you're rich if you're one of the mega rich then you're flying in your private jet and it doesn't matter. You don't care about what the cost is, whether it's you know it's ten thousand dollars in fuel or a hundred thousand dollars in fuel. It's meaningless to you. Mm-hmm. But to us and the average family, you know, the price of petrol going from you know whatever it was a dollar fifty a liter, let's say two years ago, probably a dollar sixty. I'm not sure, but hitting two dollars thirty. And I've seen it at two fifty. Yeah, I paid something crazy. Like I drove to Sydney a month ago, and we saw some on the north side of Melbourne. I laughed at the price. It was two fifty something. Yeah. I think I took a photo of it. I just like, and you know, four dollars here we come with it. I'm sure it's going to get there. Do eventually. you think it's going to keep going? For sure. 
and it's it's a tax on the poor people and they're going to keep telling all, all of us you shouldn't be driving you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do that meanwhile they're all going to be in their private jets and doing all that and people keep you know people's eyes really aren't too open to it i don't think yeah it was hard not you know there's a lot of talk and you know i think you'd have to be blind and not see that something's going on something's mm. shifting you know and whether you can blame COVID or not i don't know what but it feels like there's an agenda behind the agenda mm. and whether COVID was an agenda or not or just a catalyst for other things to change i don't fucking know exactly um i don't either so tell me what i don't either okay good but that's why no, and that, i read asimov and he says humanity's gonna get to 30,000 years and be over multiple planets and all that stuff. So what are these little things going on in our life right now in the grand scheme of things in the next 1,000 years don't really matter because it's uncomfortable for us right now. But, you know, pandemic, no pandemic, petrol prices going up, whatever, it doesn't matter that humanity is going to get there in the end and where as a fact is we're not going to be around to see it no that's right so and look at band of brothers i mean world war ii things were pretty rough around that time exactly. as well. I mean, fucking hell. Yeah. um and <laughs> so uh i watched another interesting thing though the other night on the evolution of like uh let's just say where we are on a chain of um the graph was how evolved we are with our energy sources Mm -hmm. and we don't even reach one out of 10 i think we're 0.75 and say if you're an intergalactic alien civilization that's hundreds of thousands of years old and super super intelligent and can you know what do you call it when you can create energy that's like a pendulum doesn't stop yeah, that it's like free energy. Perpetual, energy, perpetual energy. That's what we're all aiming for. Yeah. Uh, you won't create it; you'll tap into it. It's already out there. That's right. And yeah. we so just can't see it. Yet. We can't see it. Yet. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it was just really interesting because mm. once you open that can of worms, then you can. There's no stopping. It's now like, you're talking about foiling. Well, you've already you've already, already segued you segued into foiling. I didn't even know it. <laughs> perpetual energy and tapping into the source. All right, hold on. I want to get to foiling. So. Um, Coming out of the good thing that came out of the last two years is you got to go inward. Yep. And yep. Uh, and and what does that look like for you, Jeff? So pre-COVID, let's just say, I don't even like saying that word, but let's pre-COVID, I was a keen surfer. I, was, I have been like all my life dedicated surfer, just um, short border, big wave surfing, all that, right? Yeah. Surfing was sort of everything for me there. Yeah. Um, and then we've hit a... God, this sounds terrible. We've got a perfect storm has hit us where we live here in Torquay. And that is a, a multitude of things. So COVID came, you had lockdowns, you weren't able to... You weren't allowed to drive more than 5Ks, right? So we're limited to surfing around town yeah. for exercise. And this is not a grizzle on that. This is just ex- explaining it, right? So you couldn't go anywhere... Um, people, you couldn't go anywhere, so I couldn't drive to the places I wanted to go to in the last couple of years. Yeah. I couldn't drive an hour or two hours to go find waves to get away from crowds. I couldn't fly to Indonesia or Fiji or Hawaii to go chase big waves or perfect waves. You couldn't mm-hmm. do that, right? So yeah. that was off the cards. And for me, surfing has been getting increasingly popular everywhere and especially around here. For a long time, it's just been it's been going up, right? But how i've got away from the crowds is has been through big waves and basically say pre-covid the last 
sort of let's say five years before that how i got my fix with surfing was every let's say every two to three months i would get one good big wave session and then i would be high from that session for the next couple of months basically and then um you know in between sessions i'd focus on training and preparation and i'd be doing laps in the pool and breath training and all this sort of stuff to get ready so that i'm ready for the big stuff and so whenever i'd go surfing in torquay i wasn't you know crowds stress me out um but the way i looked at it was it was all just preparation for those good you know once every blue moon big swell days that i'd get and then i'd go down there and get big waves and you can basically be on your own like the waves are 15 foot or something it's you know whoever wants one can go out there and get one if you've got the ability to go and do it mm-hmm. and so that was surfing for me it was these it's a really high big points. commitment yeah and, and it takes a lot it does take a lot it's frightening because it's you i know you safety for you is a huge factor in all this yeah but it has to be yeah it's frightening for me too and the it is absolutely yeah the longer time between those sessions then the harder it is to to get back in and go and flick the switch and go and do it again and so my way of doing that would be to stay prepared and so i'd be paddling my boards and um swimming and training to keep myself ready and so back on what we were just talking about what's changed in the last couple of years is um we had covid we had lockdowns you couldn't travel um, and we've had a couple of these crazy bad years of surf where it's of l- lack of big swells and so it's rarely around Turkey. it's rarely got over about you know four foot basically give or take one or two days and thirdly then with all the lockdowns and everything as soon as they shut down football and gyms and all this and that as you know everyone went oh cool well, i'm going to take up surfing now and so surfing got crazy crowded and the problem with the waves around here where we live is there's in my opinion is there's no consequence in the waves. so bells and winky there's no consequence so anyone that's a beginner with a seven foot hipster twin fin or eight foot whatever just paddles out there as you know and has no respect or care or no knowledge of the um of the hierarchy in the water and where to position themselves and wait for a wave and do the right thing and they just go out there and just drop in and whatever and so it's just changed so much and i don't enjoy um i don't enjoy that mm. it's hard when you've say a wave like bells or winky say winky right and you've surfed it as we have for over 20 years and you've had it really good you know you've had it four foot um with five guys out and you've done that for 20 years in winter time and now it's three foot and there's 55 guys out and you don't know any of them and they're all on these big boards dropping in i'm just my interest to go out there and get one of those and have to hassle and compete for it is just not there yeah yeah. you know it's frustrating yeah you come in frustrated yeah exactly and it's which is not what we got into surfing for yeah it's you're getting going into surfing to get away from all that sort of thing i kind of enjoy onshore junkie days now Mm. you know like just for that same reason i agree and don't want to tell anyone that for, actually yeah but for, and for years we've had um those days where bells would be six to eight foot and it would go southwest or west southwest in the afternoon change would come through blow out low tide would be in the afternoon and there'd be back to five guys out there five guys that you know and you'd go out there and the wind was howling but it was just you versus the elements out in the ocean out there and you go this is great and it's you know howling wind cross onshore but you didn't care because mm. you felt the energy 
um, and you're with a couple of guys that you knew and respected and there was a respect in the water and um, and the, the problem is is even those days have dried up. Mm. We don't have that anymore. Mm. So... Yeah, it has been. It's been. Is it this, to blame the El, El Nino? El Nino. That's the the short term easy way to blame it. And there's some other um, older timer crew that I've spoke to that they're thinking. That, I mean, they've never seen anything like it either, and they're wondering, is it part of more of a and a bigger shift? A bigger shift, yeah. And I'm don't even touch the populist words that people say. It's not. It's not global warming. It's just like this is um, just a bigger cycle like a 50 year cycle or 100 year cycle or something like this where it's just shifted and in this same time in the last two to three years the east coast of australia has been lighting up lighting up <laughs> and they're getting an eight to ten foot swell every four days you know pretty much for the last yeah, it's been two years yeah and we just get nothing down here you went up there and chased some waves recently yep big left yep wedding cake island Yep. Whoa, 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 Wedding Cake Island. That's, yeah. How did they get a Midnight Hall song? <laughs> yeah, right. How did it get that name? I have no idea how it got Wedding the name. Cake should Island. know that. It's right in the heart of Sydney, too. Is it? Yep. Ah. Bang smack in the middle of Coogee. I have fucked, had no idea. Yeah. So that was that one was just basically pure luck for me. I'd booked in a trip um, with my family to go see my wife's family in Sydney. And. I was planning on taking a foil up to go foil in, I was thinking, small waves. And then the night before we were set to drive up, like at literally 11.30 at night, a friend from Sydney texted me and goes, hey, you should bring a 10-foot board. It's going to be a massive swell. And I had my foil all packed and I looked at the charts and went, I mean, I was looking at the charts at the same time and went, oh, my gosh, there's this super swell coming for Sydney. Um, all right, I will pull the foil out of the car and I'll stick my 10.8 on the roof of the car. And so we drove up like inland with a, with a board strapped on the roof. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Scored a, yeah, scored a four-day pumping swell, like the best waves I've seen in two years and the biggest waves I've seen in two years. So do you paddle out there? Do you get a boat? What's the go? It's, it's a little island and it's about... Um, Gosh, the island itself is probably 500 metres offshore, not far. But the way that the headland's situated, you're kind of like looking straight into this left, like just across. It doesn't look very far out at all. It's not very far. So it's this perfect viewing spot. So you've got heaps of tourists there standing there taking photos of the waves. And it's a classic Sydney wave in that, you know, they've got those gnarly Sydney cliffs and you've got to negotiate them and jump off the rocks, you know, and, and do a little 50-yard dash to wow. kind of get to safe water. And then... Yeah, which is different for me. Oh wow! Yeah, hold on. No, there's another spot where you got to jump, or no, you paddle, so it doesn't matter. Do you? Yeah. Anyway, so you jump, then you got to get clear into deep water. Yeah, and then it's to a avoid the paddle. sets. You time it yeah. between sets, so sets are smashing up on the rocks, and then you jump off these rocks. Like the one I was jumping off was about three meters above other rocks. Holy! Fuck. And so you had to jump onto the back of a wave, drop down about two meters and get on your board and just dash as quick as you could. So it was good. Yeah, it was really good hard in mouthing. And then you have to, to paddle in. You go about 500 meters further up the beach into the bay to come in. <laughs> oh. So. Yeah. That's a long, lonely swim if anything goes wrong. Yeah. The waves out the back, though. So even if you did break a leash, your board probably wouldn't go sort of too far. You might be able to get to it. Yeah, okay. So, But I was lucky there. There's a really nice bunch of guys up in Sydney were super supportive and um, stoked to... Have me, they're super welcoming, yeah. and um, you know, there's only a couple of guys in the water anyway, 
and scored it for four days in a row just pumping just it was the most waves i've had on a surfboard in two years awesome so so um just jumping back yeah so like looking if you can pull out on weather mm. and i don't know it's a, it's a, i don't even want to talk about weather because it's just such a hot touchy topic um and the world is changing yeah um but yeah i it's forever changing it's never yeah. not been changing correct we've been through ice ages after ice ages after heat wave after it's, it's always changing correct in flux i agree the universe is in flux where am i going <laughs> anyway so um out of all this and bettering yep. yourself is this where paddling mastery was born that was um so yeah since the last time we spoke i was probably just setting it up around that time paddling mastery is my website um and i have my breath training course on there so and no, hold on i just want to clarify this for yeah. anyone looking for it yeah it's it's the website the address is paddlingmastery.com yep yep and the first course that i have is called the breath hold blueprint which is a um, specialist breath training course for surfers so it can help any surfer um, to increase their breath hold in 27 days so you can go from basically 45 second breath hold up to if you train hard and you stick to it you can go up to a five minute breath hold in under four weeks so let's just clarify this you've held your breath for five minutes yes that is fucking unbelievable it is like i mean it's a long it is a long time and i i'm just going to tell you i really appreciate it because i love doing it yep. i've dipped my toe in yes two or three times yep and super enjoyed the process the first yep. time was the time that I, I went the hardest and i did the notes yep. and adhered to it it's you, you know i don't know why but some reason at that time i was able to get in the swing and do it you were saying do it in the morning i i just tend to do everything at night mm-hmm. um i don't think i went past 345 or no I, I, what did i tell you in the car park that day what i got to do you remember somewhere that? around there or four minutes no i don't reckon i got four. four no 345 sounds right it was for me mind bending long time that is a long time that is a astonishingly long time especially when given three to four weeks before that you would have never thought that's possible no i was pretty happy with two yeah and you'd think that you know the people that do have a long breath hold that there's some sort of freak of nature or something right it's just oh, i'll never be able to do that etc etc but it's just a skill and a technique that you can train yeah a hundred percent and because you know like as you say you do the crystal ball mm. and so that was a really interesting conversation when you rang and told me because i was on the wim hof train mm. and i can i just tell you that i really like doing wim hof breathing in bed mm. and by the time you get up to the third or fourth round mm. and you feel like you're so saturated i feel like i've just had a massive bong and i'm about to black out and then you wake up and it's morning and mm. it's a pretty nice way to fall asleep but probably pretty dangerous correct and, and your the way you described it is probably pretty accurate so what you're doing there is you are i mean i'm not a scientist but you're um, changing the alkalinity of your blood, which changes your brain's ability to absorb oxygen. And so in short, what you're doing and the, the spiritual 
um, the flashes and all these things that he talks about that people achieve is effectively, if you imagine you've got a TV or a computer monitor and you've got a kid and you're trying to watch TV and your kid's over at the PowerPoint and he's pulling the plug out and putting the plug in, pulling the plug out and putting it in, that's what you're doing to your brain. You're cutting off your oxygen supply to your brain through hyperventilation and it's dangerous and there's people out there that do it for surfing and it's dangerous. Hyperventilation is dangerous and... Yeah, so I'm really against that as a technique at all. But it's also called breath work. You can look breath work up on the internet, and that's not what I do. Um, that's what he does. And that's a yeah, type of ventilation technique that was around since the 1940s or 50s, I think, something like that, really old thing that they're just revamping. So, And it's a, it's a saturation of the blood of oxygen, right? Uh, hang on. It's, let me get this right. I haven't thought about this for a little while. Uh he does empty lung breath holds right and he does hyperventilation so you'll be um you'll be clearing out your yeah oh, i can't remember which way it is because the way Look, you honestly, go you saturate yeah. fully in uh no fully in relaxed out fully in so you're packing relaxed out packing relaxed out yeah and then you think you relax out and then hold your breath so your system is saturated and then it depletes but you've got a longer depletion. Yeah, so what you're doing then, where he gets a long breath hold for... Sorry, I haven't thought about this for quite a while. No, no, I haven't been okay. focused on it. It's all right. Yeah. Um, so he's teaching hyperventilation. So when you're doing those big dump breaths to get all it out, you're breathing out the CO2 and your blood has a, a balance of carbon dioxide and oxygen and the carbon dioxide, you need it because it gives you the urge to breathe as one thing. And so when you get rid of it, you get rid of your urge to breathe, which is why people can hold their breath for longer, which mm. is why you never want to hydrate. You never want to hyperventilate when you're holding your breath, especially for surfing mm. or anywhere near water because you just won't know when you black out. It's a false flaw. Yep, and you'll just black out without getting the warning signs. Yeah. In actual fact, you're better off having carbon dioxide in your system so you can feel it and you can feel the pain and the different symptoms that you feel along the timeline will tell you how far along and how far away you are from actually blacking out. So... Yeah, doing a lot of hyperventilation changes your blood alkalinity. I agree with that part. But what that does then is it changes your brains. It basically, your brain can't absorb the blood. and the, Sorry, can't absorb the oxygen. Um, it can't absorb the oxygen in your blood. And so your brain stops getting oxygen. And that is not a good thing for your brain. You're pulling the plug. Mm. No, I, look, when you yeah. said it to me, I was like, I was really keen to get on yeah. the board and, and try uh, and do the paddling That's mastery. That's not what my, no, my no, course no, is oh, about. Okay? It's the opposite, just to clarify. But anyways. <laughs> no, no, I think your course is un, unreal from a surfing perspective. Yeah. 100%. Like, I don't know, you know, Wim's, you know, got his cult following. Yep. All good. But if for me as a surfer. Don't do it near the water. No, for me as a surfer, sure. yours makes way more sense. Yep. And the way you guide through it is unreal. Yeah. I'm super uh, sold on the platform and the awesome. way you break it down weekly yeah. and talk you through each one. Yeah. Yeah, I really like it. So well done. That's, Thank you. that's a really cool achievement. Yeah, m- mine's come from studying freediving and freedivers. Yeah. And I always wanted to do some freediving years ago and never had the opportunity to get into it. And... I remember at Jaws in 2016, I was out at Jaws on the biggest day ever paddled and a friend of mine, Aaron Gold, paddled into the biggest wave ever, caught right in front of my face, saw the whole thing and it was like the wave looked as tall as the Bird Rock Cliffs from where I was. Yeah. Like, And I'm not 
exaggerating. It was as tall as the Bird Rock Cliffs, right? It didn't look like that. That's how tall it was to me from the bottom. And it mowed him down at the bottom. And when he paddled back out, he paddled back out after the wipeout. I asked him how the wipeout was. I gave him a high five and said, man, that was insane. Congrats. I said, I think it's probably the biggest wave ever. I said, how bad was the wipeout? And he said to me, uh, not too bad. I just sort of relaxed and went with it. It was kind of a sort of a spiritual thing going with the wave and feeling it. And I, and I was just like, okay, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, what? And he free dives. And so I'd had, a, um, I'd had clues from people from different people that kept hearing this thing about freediving this or that and the other over the years but never had a way to connect it. And so I was studying it myself, um, following and going through the websites and forums and trying to learn how they develop their breath hold and what it is that – how do they do this? How do they get the long breath hold? What their, what their sport's about? Um, and that's where I learned about this tech, the techniques that are in my course – and how to get my increase my breath hold, and then also how to freedivers are all about safety. Um, they're the good freedivers, right? They're all about safety. Everything's everything. They are so it's precise. They are so calculated. They are so controlled. They are the most controlled people um, you'll ever meet. They have everything. You know, every dot and dotting their eyes, crossing their t's. Everything's got to be exactly the same, and it's got to be exactly right. And that's how they do things because it's so serious what they do. Completely, yeah. Diving down on a line under the ocean. And... Well, do you know, like, this is what trips me out, mm. that there's a point, because my brother did a little bit of this stuff, and when you're free diving, that say you black out, I don't know where it is, 10 metres, whatever it is, that you're no longer rising back to the surface. Yes. You actually just sink. So it depends how much weight you're wearing on your belt and what sort of wetsuit you're having on, how much flotation you have on your body. But if you're wearing a wetsuit here, like a 4-3 diving suit, and you've got weight belts on, you've got about 3 kilos, something like that I'd wear, it's around about in the 15-meter mark in salt water. Again, it depends between salt and fresh water. Yeah. Yep, and so on the way back up, yeah, you're actually fighting gravity to swim back up, and that's frightening against man. it. Yeah, so you've got a you've got a power to get back up, basically. But as you get further up, that lessens, and so you actually start accelerating, and it brings on this sort of a euphoric feeling for them as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so I studied that with the freedivers of how they were doing it, and then um, you know. There's things with breath training for big wave surfing that I've done because for the last 20 years, I've always been trying to look for something to give me an edge, like what's that thing that's going to help me be more comfortable in big waves. And the conventional training method in the last 10 years, let's say, of, or 10, 12 years of big wave surfing has been pool training and getting in the pool and, you know, Lane, having lane ropes and buoys and all this kind of stuff in the pool and doing overs and unders and laps where you're not breathing and laps where you're breathing and getting your heart rate up and then forcing yourself underwater. And then the classic thing is doing the um, the breath hold tumbles in the pool. Mm. So having someone, you hold, you hold your breath in the pool, ball up, and your partner will spin you around for a set amount of time. And, you know, to simulate being in a wipeout basically – and I've done lots of that. I did so much of that, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Um, but that ended up with um, a really, I took that kind of to its extreme and had a really bad experience with it. So um, once when 
my wife Minnie used to train me in the pool and she used to be like my spotter and train get in and do the tumbles and things like that for me and so we trained them to a really high level um I used to do the tumbles for we used to do a three-wave hold down simulation so that would be I'd hold my breath go underwater and she'd spin me around for a minute then push me away after a minute pull on my leash I have to take the leg rope off swim five meters turn around swim back ball up again all underwater she tumbled for me 30 more seconds push me away i'd have to find myself orient myself in the pool swim away five meters come back again ball up again and she tumbled me for another 30 seconds before i was allowed to come up so that was simulating a three-wave hold down not yeah. a two-wave because we're trying to get yeah. trying to make it that a two-wave hold down is not the worst thing i've already trained harder than that right You're giving me anxiety jeff <laughs> yeah um but the floor in that is with that whole system then is that the best big wave surfer is the one that can take the most beating in the pool right and it's not true you know it's if you you know there's for example there's um there's girls out there charging huge waves right that now like that are amazing at jaws and you can't you wouldn't want to beat them up like a guy like you don't know, get kicked and pushed around and banged and bang your head on the bottom of the pool and on the side and this sort of stuff you know knocking your goggles off and getting half concussed that's not a measure of how good a big wave surfer you are it's completely irrelevant and i got caught up in that in a long time mm. um i think people do it but i don't think it has any relation to performance in big waves at all and i think what people do is they do it if they especially if they've got an energy drink sponsor then before a big swell comes they go to the pool and they make a video um, saying that they're doing all this pool training and they film the tumbles underwater because it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. But I know the guys and they don't really do that. <laughs> they just do it for a video, you right. know, to put yeah, out their sponsors, marketing, yeah. exactly. And my experience came to a head with that sort of thing when um, my wife was, uh, we just had our firstborn son, Winter, and I, she used to come to the pool and do spotting and everything for me. And I went to the pool and i had said hey look i'm not going to do stuff in the pool i'm not going to do any training it's too dangerous and so i went to do laps and um after a few times of going to the pool i was on my own i was swimming laps i was a little bit bored and i was like oh look i'll just start doing a little bit of i'll just do you know half a lap 25 meter pool right half an olympic length i'll just do half a lap underwater so do half a lap underwater and i was like oh that was just too easy you know hmm. and then i was like yeah i'll just do a lap underwater and then that was all too easy and then pretty soon i was back at doing a minute and a half static so i go underwater for a minute and a half and not move <laughs> and then do 50 meters underwater because yeah. i was like this is fine and then one day I, I did this and i suffered what's called an lmc which is a loss of motor control which is um happens before you just before you black out basically and i was about two-thirds of the way along the pool underwater and I started to like go into like a minor fit. I was shaking and shuddering. Okay, and just before that, yeah. where was your mind? Were you hurting? I was no, I was pretty calm. I was pretty calm. Yeah, I was probably hurting a little bit, but just keeping it calm. I was convulsing. You know, I'm like, no, 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 no. I was along that line. You weren't at the convulsing part. I would have. You know, no, the, I, yeah, contractions. Contractions. Sorry. Yes, I would have had contractions, and I would have, um, but. Um, being aware that contractions occur on a timeline i'm yeah. not going to respond to them i'm going to just ignore it and keep going basically because i feel like i'm okay but what happened was i 
got past being okay and I hit this point, I started to have this LMC. So I started to um, have a minor fit underwater and my body's shaking and I couldn't swim. And so I started coming up. Your, your body goes into... Um, it's like a survival limp mode basically and so my body i steered up and kind of you lose all all your fine motor skills everything and um i kind of like came up didn't know what i was doing lunged out of the water like two-thirds of the way up the lane and literally fell on a lane rope and my fortunately my arm went over the lane rope and my elbow hooked on it and that's what saved me and you know, I don't even think there was a lifeguard at that walking around the pool at that time. There was no one else in the pool where I was. And I landed on the lane rope there and got stuck there. And then after like, I don't know how long, a minute or something, I kind of like, you know, came back around to my full senses basically. And um, my initial thought was, oh my God, I'm so glad no one saw me do that. I might've got kicked out of the pool. You know, I was like, what an idiot. Oh, man, imagine if someone had seen me. <laughs> and it wasn't till like, I think it was that night, or it might have been the next night that it hit me, hit me. And I was like, oh my God, like, I might not have even made it home just from going to the pool. Yeah. I might not have seen my family. And I was like, you know, I could have drowned in a swimming pool. And it's happened to so many people. I was really fortunate. And I was like, never again. And so from then on, I have to learn this other system and I learned what the free divers do. And from now on, all I've ever done, all I've ever done since then, when I go to a swimming pool, I only do laps. So swimming pools are for lap swimming, not for holding your breath. And I do all my breath training at home, lying on my bed or lying on a sofa or lying on the floor or anywhere that you can find a space that's safe space uh, because you're not going to drown. Yeah. And it's the only way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. What a frightening experience. Yeah, and it's funny, since then with the course and talking to people, I've talked to numerous other surfers that have had the same, their version of the same event. And they were like, oh, I was training for, um, I was doing swimming for an Indo trip and I was doing heaps of lap swimming. And the day before I went, I had a bit of a flu and I started doing um, some underwater laps. And um, one guy got out of the pool at the end and collapsed, got out, like got out and blacked out and collapsed and woke up on the concrete with the lifeguards um, rolling him over. And he was like, oh, I was so embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anyone and all this sort of thing. Like so, there's yeah. so many of those stories out there. So the message I can get out there is that nobody is just don't do any breath training in the pool, no matter what you see. You, it's If you see freedivers doing it in pools and professional competitions of them holding their breath and what you don't realize is they have two, um, two trained rescue divers in the water, one on each side of them. They have a doctor, sorry, they have a medic on the edge of the pool ready that's trained in blackout recoveries they have so much safety in all those pool things that you can't replicate and i can't replicate so as a big wave surfer i'm like if i can't get three four people that are trained experts to come to the pool with me to help me do this then there's got to be a better way Mm. and that's what i learned with the breath or blueprint and applying what the freedivers do and then putting a twist on it that applies it to surfing surfing Mm. in big waves well, I love it. I, I, Thanks, I mean, I, I really enjoy the process of it's like it's very meditative, you know. You always feel really good after, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a sense of accomplishment and challenge and 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 mindfulness because you're just in. Yep, in really in. Yeah, I I, I love it. So, That's yeah, awesome. kudos to you. Thanks, mate. Um, 
Yeah. So have it has has it obviously it's had good response. It's had good response so far. Yeah. I mean, it it, it works for people. So. And it's safe. And it's safe. Yep. So if you're interested in wanting to increase your breath hold to give yourself some more confidence, and it's not the be all and end all for big wave surfing. There's about five things that you need to cover. I mean, you've got to have big wave surfing. You know, <laughs> Come you've, on. Well, you've got to have the right equipment. <laughs> no, I'm you've got joking. Equipment. I'm totally yeah. joking. You've got to have the right equipment. <laughs> yeah. um, you've got to be able to swim. Swimming's crucial, and that's what I mean, lap swimming. Um, you've got, uh, what do you say, equipment, swimming. Um, you work on your surfing technique, you know, using that equipment, so make sure that you know how to use your gear, um, and you've got to do your and breath training as well. So there's well, there's four things. So that's just, but it's one of those four pieces of of the puzzle that I use as benchmarks. And so when I'm going to surf big waves, let's say when I went to Sydney the other week, look, I had surfed maybe once in three months before that. And so when I saw the swell, we were supposed to leave at nine in the morning. I was like, hey, I'm going for a quick surf at Bells, and we'll leave at lunchtime instead of nine, so I can get one surf in before I leave. And I have benchmarks now based on the wave sizes i'm going to go and surf and so um you can ask yourself before you go out and go well how much have i swam lately and how much have i paddled lately how, how paddle fit how good are my arms how good's my swimming how good's my breath hold so paddle fit and swimming fit are not correlating uh paddle fit and swim fit are pretty correlating they okay, are yes yeah. it's one or the other definitely yeah like if you can but paddling will get you out and swimming will get you in that's right yeah but so, like if you're just paddling all the time do you think you can get in the pool and swim further than so there's people that's where it's, it's like a mix and that's with those the benchmarks for each of those things so let's say if it's going to be um if it's going to be 10 foot then i'll go well you, is my can i do um have i done any breath holes lately can i do one and a half minute just can i just back yeah. this up because you're 10 foot sure and other people's 10 foot two yep. different things now i'd like to know where we're basing your 10 foot because 10 foot is fucking ginormous yes so 10 foot my style is 20 foot face height and three and a half times the height of a grown man basically so in talking as big as it gets that's 10 foot yeah that's what and i call 10 foot do they do they measure that off like you know because everything's different it's just hard to you go oh it's six foot and, it's, and you just know it's fucking big if it's six foot um is it ocean swell before it breaks you know what i mean yeah there's so in terms of the names that that people have for them is some people say it's the hawaiian system that's right is yeah. like 10 foot and they say 10 foot hawaiian or 10 foot um californian is the other one they say yeah. californian being face height yeah. these days you can call it the surf line scale um you'll always see the surf surf line says winky and bells is going to be six to ten foot and it's about head high <laughs> yeah, right and you okay. get down there and you're thoroughly disappointed yeah it's a good point you want to know what scale that you're yeah especially if you're talking to someone and they go it's 10 foot and you think it's 20 foot it's a big difference that's right yeah and it's just always yeah totally anyway yep. I'm, I'm glad but, that, yeah. but the head height thing is a pretty universal scale so head height double overhead triple overhead head and a half shoulder like if someone says the waves are shoulder height you can't go wrong you know okay i know what shoulder height is yeah it's a foot and a half yeah, where someone says foot and a half, you might someone goes, well, that's knee high. Yeah, that's right. You know? No, no, and totally. that's confusing. Yeah, so definitely. But um, I know when I'm talking to you and you say ten foot, I know it's out of it's gigantic. Yeah, it's a, it's a ten big. foot. Ten foot's a big wave. Yeah, that's right for sure. So I just want to clarify that. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah. So if you're going to surf big waves, I have benchmarks that I can look at and I can say, you know, you can ask yourself or myself, um, let's say, for example, I'll say there's a 15 foot swell coming. Then I'm going and I can see it a week out. Then I'll go and look at my benchmarks and go, well, I want to be doing um, my two minute breath hold training program. So a series of eight breath holds of two minutes in the, in the CO2 tolerance training. And that qualifies that, in my opinion, is the, is the threshold, the benchmark that I want to be at that level or above to surf 15 foot waves. Um, can I, have I been swimming um, two kilometers three times a week? Am I at that level? Um, have I surfed three times in the last week? How long does it take you to swim two k's? Uh, about, depending, if you're breaking it down into exercises, it's about somewhere around 17 minutes for a kilometer. So okay, it's like 35 minutes or something like that. Yep. You can do three k's in an hour with very, quite well with rest breaks, drink mm-hmm. breaks and stuff like that mm-hmm. in it. So yeah, like roughly two k's, 40 minutes, one k, 20 minutes, mm-hmm. something like that. Okay, yeah. Um, measure how many times you surf lately and do i what equipment do i have all the right equipment like 15 foot waves i need my i need 10 six board i need my inflation um, vest i need my flotation jacket i need my right leg rope all my the right fins i need all the right gear so those are the benchmarks that before the swell you can look at that a week out and go okay i've been surfing heaps all my gear is good i'm paddle fixed i've been surfing a lot um i haven't swam much lately but I'm okay. That one can be a little bit under because my surf fitness is really good. So that one will be over. So I'm okay on that benchmark mm-hmm. there. But I haven't done any breath training in three months. So I've got seven days now. I'm going to I'm gonna do five sessions of my breath training program over the next five days. And I'm going to go from a low level and I'm going to ramp it up. My body will adapt really quick and I'll go dunk, 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 dunk. And within five days, I'm going to exceed my benchmark requirement for 15 foot waves with my breath hold. And so by the time this well comes i'm going to be above all my benchmarks and that then gives me what i call the green light and that allows me to come to terms with before i paddle out this is a thing i've learned and developed is how did it when especially when you haven't surfed big waves in a long time is how do you go from being a dad and a father and this that you know you're playing with kids to flicking that switch and going out there and catching a big wave it's a it's a scary thing it is really scary and you want to come to terms. I, I have to come to terms with the consequences of the wipeouts and all that before I go out there. And so if I hit all my benchmarks in the week leading up to the swell, then I give myself the green light and I literally say that I've got the green light and I'll keep saying that as a mantra. I've got the green light. I've got the green light, which means when I go out there, I don't have to think anymore because I've already made the decision that... I, on the day for this swell i'm qualified to be out there i've you know i can't i'm not going to question myself or second guess so i'm going to go out there and put myself in the spot and catch the wave and hopefully don't come off but if you do um i'm going to be okay that is unreal nicely broken down like i don't think i've ever looked at it under a microscope like that Mm. and been like dunk 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 because most of the time when it's big and for me 10 foot is big yep. i don't like to be yeah. out over 10 foot that's a big wave um at 10 foot i feel vulnerable yeah 
and, you know, because we'll, with diabetes we one. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but also, yep. like, I'm, I'm also got the thing with sugars. Yep. How much sugars do I have enough sugar on board? If I get stuck out here, how long can I last before I've got to make a beeline? You know, under 10 foot, you can beeline in most of the time. Yep. 10 foot, you kind of got to start making some funny choices. So you choices. need your own benchmarks for that. That's totally right. But at 10 foot, I, like most of the time, you know, if I've been training and everything like that, I'm still, like, I like that you do that. I've got a green light. Mm. You know, because I'm not paddling around out there going, I've got a green light. I'm mm. ducking and weaving, you know. And it's not, it's a much nicer place to come at it from with that psychological talk and the training. Yeah, for sure. Like, it makes sense. Yep. And that way you can paddle out and you don't have to, you don't sit on the shoulder and say, what am I doing out here? I say, I've got a green light. Go. Go to the spot. Go to where the best waves are. Go to the peak go deep and go to that spot and wait for the biggest and best wave to come through and when it comes no second guessing you've got the green light you're a green light so when the set's coming and i can see it feathering out the back there's no doubt it's just green light just get myself in the right spot come over the first one and see the second one and a little trick i always exhale when i know the second wave of the set's going to be the biggest one i always come as i'm paddling over the first one i always exhale it's part of my um, little rituals of controlling um, all the variables because if you inhale and you take a breath as you're going over and you see this massive wave behind it, your heart rate's going to go up and I get really nervous. And so what I do is I, as I'm paddling over the first wave, I always exhale and it helps me control my heart rate and control my breathing. So I um, yeah, go into a manual breathing mode as I go over that first wave and I see it on the exhale and it doesn't make my heart rate go up. And I'll say, green light, just get in the position you're going. There's no question. <laughs> That's fucking unreal. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. I've put a lot of thought into it over the years, for sure, and refined, you know, refined these little things. Oh, no, it's just like I just get anxiety because when I'm thinking, I know where you're at and it's 15 feet and it's fucked up. Or bigger. Yeah. Or bigger, man. It's just like, it's another world and no wonder you're not fighting crowds you know yeah i mean it's 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 some places yeah it's not like the waves out front that we have here are like it's not the super bank let's face it Mm. we're around here lately it hasn't been six foot super bank barrels kind of never is it's not north point wa it's not eight foot double up barrels it's not that sort of amazing it's three foot winky and it's crowded as anything now and hassley and really slow in victoria as well and this is probably a little segue into the next thing but i with small wave surfing around here with the crowds i've done it for so so long done it for so many times before that it's um now to do it with so much more it's not that it's not interesting it's not fun but there's just so much more people doing it that it's i just don't want to do it i'd rather someone else have a go at it and someone else can do it and i'll surf when the waves i'm still just as keen to surf i watched mm-hmm. the Bay comp the other week and i was like man i'll surf all day if the waves are like that <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. or if the waves are huge i'm super keen yeah but most of the time they're not and so i want to do something fun that you know i don't want to i don't want to be a grumpy shortboarder yeah I, I and i've had time being a grumpy shortboarder and I don't want to grow into an old grumpy shortboarder, one of those grumbly old men that's out there complaining about everything all the time. Right. And yeah, and that's so. 
that's where the foiling so has kicked in for me so how long ago you've been at it now for did you say solidly it hasn't been a year yet yep so i started in started solidly prone foil surfing in december of 21 which is now eight, just eight months ago describe that for anyone that doesn't know what prone foiling surfboarding is yeah so foiling f- foiling foil boarding is riding a hydrofoil and so you could call it hydrofoil surfing if you want to break it down as simple as possible which is like a board that has a hydrofoil which is a device basically like an airplane wing or a glider wing that's around 80 centimeters there's a mast 80 centimeters down below your board and then this underwater airplane wing um, and you catch a wave and it comes up and flies and so you are effectively surfing up in the air it's it's marty mcfly's hovercraft from back to the future <laughs> on the water yeah. yeah it is and you don't feel any um it feels drag free fi- friction free no sound no wake um it's you're you're flying above a wave it's basically fluid. it's uh, slow yeah and you and you're riding the energy so prone foil uh prone foiling is what they call um, basically just standard surf foiling. So it means prone means, you know, because you're lying down on the board, paddle out, and you have to catch the waves on the power of your own arms. So that's called prone foiling. Um, I didn't like it at first. I always thought it was surf foiling. But now I know it and accept it, and it is what it is, and I like it. It's prone foiling. Okay, prone foiling, yeah. Yeah. And so you borrowed a setup. Yep. Borrowed a stand-up paddleboard foil, so a bigger, bulkier one, which is perfect to learn off, off Dean Snow from Anglesey. Yeah. Um, borrowed that in December, rode that for about two weeks um, in some in tiny little waves to underpower it. And I had done, I had one of uh, myself and Troy Brooks got the first foil made ever, a hydrofoil surfboard in Victoria ever made, possibly the first in Australia. Um, there was a couple of guys, so I, I don't care about that. There was about, I think there's two or three guys that did it. I think the lifeguards on the Gold Coast did one around the same time. And someone else in New South Wales. Um, I first saw it from Laird Hamilton's movie in the year 2000, I think that came out. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the movie, he was riding a hydrofoil and I was just blown was away. Was snow boots or ski boots yes. or something in it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I said, this looks incredible. I've got to do this. And so I searched around and it was back in the dinosaur days of the internet back then. The internet barely worked. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> found this thing called an air chair, which was a f- the foil and bought one of those from a new importer in australia and asked around and got connected to dean snow actually back then and he built a board for us and so we got connected with someone else who helped us out with the snowboard boots so we made this concoction the foil this heavy epoxy board and had snowboard boots on it and you had to get a jet ski to tow you into waves so we did make that board back in about 2001 um, the problem was it didn't get used that much because it was so hard to learn. The foil was so primitive and so unstable. You should just fly out of Did the water. Did it have a big and, mast? Um, not, actually, the mast hadn't changed that much. The okay. mast was around the same. It was probably about 75 centimetres, which is pretty similar. So that's the one thing that hadn't cha- hasn't changed too much was the length of the mast. But the foil shape was completely different. Um, and the fact that you were wearing snowboard boots... So we did have one back then. We rode it for a, you know a year or two, bits and pieces. But no one wanted to come out with you on the jet ski and do it because it was too hard to learn, too hard to put on the snowboard boots, too uncomfortable. It was just too difficult, and so that got shelved for you know stored in my garage for the next you know whatever nearly twenty years. 
and then a few years ago i went um my friend jason pollock from hawaii when when he come back here i'd go out and have a tow foil with him so i had a few you know sort of one a year basically for about five years and so i, I had some basic knowledge of some of the this, this really small principles some of the, the very initial principles of it when i started to prone foil in december this year and then yeah i jumped jump right into it and uh been doing it flat out ever since so you sort of said to me that like like this has stopped me if i'm wrong here but like it seems like this sport is a sport what do you call it i don't know what it is it's a way of life i don't know it's a foiling it's a it's a future sport yeah Yeah, let's go sport i mean surfing's a sport and foiling's a sport okay um it's really primitive it's really at its uh fetal stages of where it's you know it's like it's a new thing so everything's coming in leaps and bounds and so what was state-of-the-art shit a year and a half ago is two years ago three years ago it's predated yeah long and that's yeah been a problem with the sport i believe to some degree because it's a lot to push in for money to get a setup yeah yeah a setup costs you all up if you buy a new setup you're looking at about three to five thousand dollars to buy your first setup yeah and then you're going to need a setup to begin with and then you're going to need to move on from that to another setup and then you're going to want to have multiple setups so yeah there's a, there is cost involved in it for sure um and it's really difficult it's difficult it is difficult to learn there's a steep learning curve with it for sure and and i think you we were saying that like so say crew that got a setup two years ago yep and now it's outdated yep and the the new shit that's not worth very much anymore because the new stuff's actually so much more conducive to yes is this right yep so if if you bought your gear three years ago and you probably paid just for the foil section you might have paid three thousand dollars it might be worth like four or five hundred dollars now if you're lucky um but i think that curve has actually slowed down as all the brands are are catching up right now it's everything's in a pretty good place foils are going to keep getting better but even the foils from a year ago are still quite good now and so that curve of like being on these horrible foils is going to um, that one will fade out pretty quickly, I think. Okay. Yeah. It's getting more stable in that regard now. Yeah. yeah. And, um, dude, I, I commend you. Like, I, <laughs> every time I go down there, you are out there practicing. Yeah. It, you have a, a fo- like, this is a, like, I just love this about you, Jeff. Is this the, whatever it is that you're doing, <laughs> you're doing it 100%. For sure. Thanks. Yeah. No, it's I unreal. do have, um, I can I do hyper focus on something if I really like it and I like this a lot and it's a lot of foiling is a lot of problem solving to me there's if there's your you you've got to feel what the problem is and then if you can articulate what the problem is then you can make a change and fix that problem and then now you're on to the next problem and so it's constant progress and constant problem solving um and so the, the the beauty of foiling right and this is a key thing is with what i've realized from stepping away from surfing for a while and i'm not against surfing or anything this time has been perfect for me to pick up foiling because the surf's been so bad and so if the surf keeps being bad for another year or two i'm out there foiling every day i don't even care if i was a surfer i'd be losing my mind mm. around here mm. and you know as soon as we get some really good surfing i'll probably be keen to go and have a surf probably i'm not sure we'll see <laughs> but the thing with surfing is it's a scarcity mindset and so the way that we work as a surfer is that we all know you've got your favorite break 
<laughs> and we can all with the websites and everything, everyone can see seven days in advance when the best day. So next Saturday is going to be the perfect size for the spot. The wind's perfect. The swell's perfect. The tide's perfect. And everybody knows in the area, like from here all the way to Melbourne, they're going to say Bells is going to be perfect Saturday morning at nine o'clock on the low tide. It's going to be five or four foot or three foot and, and offshore. And everyone is going to be there at that time and as surfers there's what i call the laws of surfing so as in not the laws like the police laws but the 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 principles of surfing those those kind of laws is you want to catch the best set waves you know on the best day the best time and so everyone knows that this spot is going to be good on this day for two hours at this time on this wind for two hours and so you've got 20 30 40 50 people going there to fight for this limited scarce resource of you know how many set waves are going to come through in that two-hour window you're going to get what 10 good sets and you've got 50 guys fighting over everyone knows the second and third waves the best the set so it's such a scarce resource that everyone's compressing and focusing in on and that's why it becomes such a fight in the surf and that's why everyone gets so frustrated and so angry a good day at winky pop there's dropping in frustration anger and people well, boiling over we get swells like we've had recently when there's you know it's um uh, what do you call it um oh god i got a mind blank there's huge lulls between sets yep. and then you get the sets and they're one or two waves. Yep. It's not like a stack set of eight waves where everyone is, you know, and consistent. It hasn't been like, hasn't been consistent. And that's inherent to Victoria, the long periods wells we get here. They're really, they're really slow. So that really adds to that factor. So 70 guys out at Winky Pop with sets every five minutes or 10 minutes means that the guys that caught the last set have already paddled back yeah, out the back and i'm just as guilty as anyone i've been in that i know that i've been in that pack i've hassled for it and that scarcity mindset you've got to get as much as you can while it's good because it's going to be over and it might be another month before it gets like this again and so everyone's you're greedy and you're hassling and and i don't want to be that person yeah yeah, yeah. seagull just, mentality yeah yeah scarcity mindset mm-hmm. and now the thing with foiling is is that you don't even need to wait for that so I've got, a, I've got an example is let's say surfing's like gold mining. And I've used it before. Surfing's like mining for gold, right? You're digging in the dirt, looking for these tiny bits of gold and everyone you find, you know, digging all this dirt and everyone you find brings you happiness. No, sorry. The dog's just having a drink. Should we wait? Yeah, no, no you can keep going. <laughs> Are you finished, Billy? Yeah. Okay. Will that yeah, come? So, no, yeah, it's fine. It'll read a little bit. Um, so, so you're mining for gold. Surfing's like mining for gold, right? Yeah. So you, you're digging around in the dirt, digging these holes, looking at these tiny little specks of gold, and you occasionally get bits, and you occasionally get a bigger bit of gold, which keeps you really happy and going for longer and keeps you going back for more, right? So surfing's digging around in the dirt, looking for these tiny bits of gold, and every so often you get a bigger bit of gold, which keeps you going for a long period of time, right? You're frothing for another month and you'll keep going back for more, for more, for more. Yep. But you're looking at these tiny bits of gold and you're throwing out all this dirt. Now imagine with foiling is that dirt that you've been throwing out, the mountains of dirt that no one sees, that is the gold. Mm-hmm. That's the gold. Yeah. No, watching and you at Point Danger in the conditions in the that worst, you're in. The worst day is the best day. Yeah. Is amazing. It's and that's where it's 
it's like surfing 2.0 because it breaks all of the all of the rules of surfing all the laws of surfing and all the principles of surfing it breaks them and shatters them but the the best one is is that it's not a scarcity mindset it's abundance there's energy out there and it's all just tapping into the energy and there's all these different ways and and disciplines within foiling all these different types of craft and ways you can do it to go tap into that energy um but you know what's crazy though is mm. like the difference between watching yourself do it and there's a quantum leap in the um <laughs> the beauty aesthetic of style you might say you know it, you can see how it is very hard because you know you go it's hard you go and what look at point danger and there's a few crew floating around that make it not look very hard yeah i mean look hard yeah but it what is, I do is love difficult. is the way you chip, you guys chip shot around. Yep. Like you take off Torquay, Main yep. Beach side, chip around the point, and then ricochet into another one. Yep. And keep going into cozies. It's, it looks epic. Yep. And how many times as a surfer have you mind surfed a wave and you've seen a set of four waves come in and you're like, I'll ride the first one and I'll quickly kick out and I'll paddle back out and I'll get the second one and then I get the third <laughs> one and the fourth one. On a four, you can do that. Which is such a trip. So the way you pump back out. It's a trip, all right, but then it gets it gets better than that because what you do is is not only can you catch like four waves in a row if you want. There's a thing called a connection turn, which as a surfer you've never even thought of before. So then you blow your mind. You call it foil brain, right? You blow your mind because the first time you catch one wave and foil you pump brain. out and you catch. Yeah, you, they call it foil brain, right? And it just keeps happening. You just keep getting foil brain the further you get into it. Like it blows your mind again. And so let's say one of those one of the laws of surfing is you can only ride one wave at a time. Yeah. That's a principle in surfing that cannot be broken. Yeah. Okay? You yeah. only ride one wave at a time. Mm-hmm. When foiling, it smashes that. You can ride 10 if you want. You can ride 15 if you're good enough. Dopamine fix is through the roof. So it's just blown like as a rule of uh, the rules of the laws of surfing, you know, the the 10 commandments of surfing, whatever. It's just destroyed number 1. You know, you can only ride one wave at a time. It's just crushed that, knocked it off. <laughs> So you can go out, but then you can do a connection turn. So then not only you ride the first wave, you come off it with speed, you see the second one as you're peeling off, you choose where you want to approach the second wave from, and then you go in that direction and you get a when you're going at the wave, so say you're going out at the second wave, you're going at twenty kilometers an hour and that wave's coming at you at twenty kilometers an hour, you got a combined speed of forty kilometers an hour. So when you go up and start to hit the wave, you get this crazy burst of acceleration and lift from your foil and you go up and do this huge turn, this big smack. And so you smack that next wave at this crazy speed and it's called a connection turn. And that's like, not only have you just connected two waves, you've done this connection turn. A connection turn is the best feeling that you can get. It's like, like it's, hitting turbo. It's like hitting turbo. And so you can surf one bank, catch it like a left, ride it through, pump across the channel and, and head out to sea looking at a right and where the right's breaking, you'll go up and someone's going to paddle into it at the peak or you'll do a connection turn and hit the peak. And it, the first time you do that, it blows your mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, but do you have, because there's so much velocity within the wave coming at you and you're using your legs to drive it mm. back to it, is it, can you, do you blast off ever, like too much power oh, pushing sure. down? Yeah? For sure, there's so much trial and error and mistakes and absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And which equipment you're riding, 
the size of the waves, the power of the waves. There's so much. The thing is, you learn with the waves, there's so much energy that we didn't realize because surfboards are all about drag. They're sitting on the surface of the water. They are just so primitive. They just drag on water. Um, flat waves, they just, you know, the waves have to push them along, whereas a foil is different. It, it flies through it and it just doesn't have that same drag. So there's so much energy. So a two-foot wave on a foil coming at you is like, you know, hitting a two-foot wave is hitting the lip on a two-foot wave is like hitting the lip on a six-foot wave on a surfboard. It's that scary. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. There's a fair bit of consequence there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so speed. now you're on this, you've, you've just decided to take it to another level Yeah. <laughs> and you've got a stand-up version. Yeah. Is it the same wing? So I've got a I've built a board called a downwind stand up paddleboard, foil board. So I called it what do I call it? Um D W S U P F downwind stand up paddle foil board. <laughs> that's the acronym? Yeah, that's what I that's what I just <laughs> say yeah. when I write it, it's yeah. shorter. And the idea with that is so the ultimate in foiling really is downwinding they call it and that's where obviously the people do it on the you know the big clubby boards and the skis and they've been doing it for years right is that's going out into the ocean and tapping into the endless energy that's coming from the wind and so you can go to if you've got the skills you can go anywhere and you can ride endless waves so i'll give you an example one of the hold on if you're on a clubby board to downwind yeah do you technically have to upwind it first or do you jump in and... Um, yeah, they do. They, 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 if we get a southwester here in Torquay, the guys on the 14-foot clubby mails and the stock boards and the skis paddle from Torquay up to Addis or um, paddle from Torquay Surf Club out and along the coast and up to Jarrisite or Addis and then they paddle out to sea. And then down. And then they um, paddle, yeah, and ride the wind back and, and the swells on the wind. Um and they get runs. They get runs for, you know, a couple hundred metres, basically in a straight line. The swell will pick them up and the board's big and long enough designed to run with it. And so they ride the downwinders back. Um, but with downwind foiling, you're literally surfing those waves out in the open ocean. So you're doing cutbacks and speed runs and you're going at full speed, flying out there on virtually what seems like an endless wave, just endless energy. But it's actually ocean swell, unbroken. It's wind swell. Wind swell. Wind swell, yeah. So mostly wind swell. Ocean, like big swell for waves is a bit different. Mm-hmm. It's wind swell that you want to do that one. Because you've got a, a fetch of waves that have got a you know, shorter period, lumpy sort of things. Um, and they're steeper. And so you can ride them. So you want a lot of wind to do that. And what happens if you go out there on a day that there's just not much wind but ocean swell is quite prevalent and it's just but it's not breaking can you still do it you won't be able to catch ocean swells they're pretty hard they're not as steep when they're out to sea okay um but people i mean people can go use a wing to do that and to help them to get up to speed yeah get powder power or you could um, use a jet ski to tow into the swells yeah. and ride the swells yeah, for sure yeah, to get yeah. you up to speed oh i see you got to come um, up to speed yeah but the trick so far around here is what i've been practicing and a couple of people practicing is is on a southwest day is going out at bells when it's blowing southwest and small and you chip in out at center side and then try and head out you catch up which i mean you catch a little wave out at centers right a breaking little choppy wave on the reef like a surfer would but you then catch that and use that and you pump out to sea and you pump out 100 or 200 or 300 metres out to sea 
and then when the when the swells are big enough and good enough when you've got further out and then you start downwinding and riding those down the coast and the yeah the goal for that is to is to get that skill to be able to unlock unlimited waves you know the complete opposite of the scarcity mindset just unlimited energy out there in the ocean that there is and you can go anywhere and 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 find plenty of space i love it i love it jeff you really uh yeah like i can see it in your eyes and i see it when you're out there <laughs> that how like i just i'm i'm dead keen you know like it looks unreal mm. what you can do in the conditions and the fun that you're having more point just the fun you're having you know yeah and yeah i i i love that you know and i love seeing you out there and i love that you never stop pushing the boundaries of whatever it is that doesn't you know i'm not just saying like that like a but you are super it's 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 inspiring to see you know whatever it is you're just going in and giving it a really really good go and and you never stop asking of yourself and bettering yourself and that i don't know i draw inspiration from that and whether i use it in i don't use it in the same context as what you're doing but i'm like it inspires me to do the things that i'm doing you know yeah thank you yeah it's awesome well i I look at it like i've got kids and when you have kids you see everything with for the first time again like they see a balloon for the first time when they're a baby and they're like wow this is the most amazing thing in the world and then everything they do is for a first time and so you get these new eyes that everything that we take for granted like oh, it's a balloon whatever a helium balloon who cares but to a baby it's this like craziest thing in the world you know what is this thing and you get so you get new eyes for it and with everything happening here i've lost my eyes and my love for surfing my joy of going surfing i don't it's someone rings me up and says let's go out at winky and it's three foot and 70 guys out and i'm gonna get angry and frustrated and not be my best self to have a good time I have to, have to have a good time i've got to put it at someone else's expense put it that way mm-hmm. and i've lost my joy for doing that and my desire to do that and now i've got new eyes on the ocean and i'm looking at everything different again and it's um it's like a it's like a rebirth with surfing you're looking at everything completely different again and all these breaks that were terrible surf spots now i'm like seeing them for the first time and wow this place is amazing <laughs> and the days where i'd say to my wife I literally would say these are, when we get these howling southeast winds onshore here for three days, I would say to her, I don't want to look at the ocean today because it's so bad for surfing. It's depressing to look at. Mm-hmm. And now with foiling, I'm like, oh, these days are incredible. They're, they're like the best days. I, on a southeast windswell day, one example, I went out at, um, everyone knows, if you know Torquay Front Beach, and you know, mini tubes, little bad little, just a piece of reef there, right? Which no one surfs because you can't really surf it. It's a terrible wave. Well, on a howling southeast windswell on one of the... The ocean looks so ugly. I went out there on my own. No one else even on the beach on the day the wind was howling and there's this choppy storm swell, easterly swell coming in. I caught a wave from mini tubes and I went right and I rode it all the way to Fisho's. And for the first time I did that, right? And I was flying across this swell. It was head-high swell. That's a long way for anyone that's listening. Yeah, it's about about, about a kilometre, which is... What is that? long way over what is that three quarters of a mile or something like that i think yeah pretty much pretty close to maybe it's 900 no it's about a kilometer and um i was doing 36.8 k's an hour on my watch i was tracking the speed right i think it's 36.8 um which is really fast and i was on this head high wave i was going right on this swell sorry and i was if anyone knows Torquay, there's yellow swimming boys 
and I was outside of the swimming boys. That's where I was riding this swell. And I was going flat out. I was going so fast. There was so much energy. And it was so fast that I was on full mass, which means that the foils lifted up so high that the foils like it and centimeters below the surface. And if you mess that up with the slightest change of angle or anything, you're going to have a, a car crash of an accident. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was at full mast, top speed, flying along this wave, this swell, out the back of the yellow boys going, I can't believe I'm out here in the middle of the bay on this swell going flat out. And the, I saw the next wave was bigger and wider and it was going to help me get towards Fisher's more. And the first wave I was starting to come off the back a little bit. And I was going so fast that I couldn't make much of a movement, but I just did this like one degree lean to the right. And that was enough to help me just angle off the back of the wave, down the trough of the next one. I, I didn't have to move. I was so fast. I just glided straight to the next wave and did like a one degree shift to the left. And that was enough to redirect me onto the next wave. And I didn't even basically didn't move, pump, do anything. And the glide took me from one wave to the next wave. And then I was going flat out on the second one. And after a couple hundred meters, the next one was going wider. I did the same. I did it again on three waves and got to what are those turtles in nemo just riding the currents around just like whoa yeah exactly (laughs) and and it was the ugliest day and when i got to the beach i had to run all the way back to point danger i was like i saw you i was frothing i saw you (laughs) it was like the best ride ever and that was like a equivalent in surfing of probably like an eight foot perfect wave at winky that you get a like a screaming barrel of your life down the valley type thing that was the equivalent of the feeling yeah, and this yeah. is on the worst day yeah with no one else around no one else in the water no one wants it and it's that good to me ah. so, it um, looks it man it looks it i'm i'm like hats off and it's unreal thanks mate jeff we're in an hour and a half i want to just say thanks so much like i feel like once again i've learned a lot and i'm inspired so it's always good to see thanks a lot i enjoy talking to you as you can tell i can ramble on for a while once you get me started (laughs) (laughs) that's great thanks jeff no worries mate cheers thanks well there you have it there was my chat with none other than jeff rowley now whoever you are out there in the wide world i told you that the dude is full tilt uh he's all in um really no bullshit kind of guy super humble super just into what he's into and loves it uh and and just a great person to know so jeff if you're out there thank you so much for coming over and and chatting like i just i love it you know i get i draw inspiration and and you're one of those people that i I can draw inspiration from selfishly so thank you for being you um and for anyone else out there in the wide world whoever you are um Thanks for listening. Seriously, thank you. Thank you for tuning into the horse's mouth. And, um, yeah, I hope this finds you well out there, out there in the ethos. Hope this finds you well. Okay, until next time, take it easy.